fallen my lot to be your speaker today, and uh, even though that we have studied this subject in the past many, many, many times, I thought maybe there might be some edification that we might give to remind us of just how important it is that the children of God be equipped properly to handle our lives that we live this day. Our text comes from Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 10 through 18. And if you'd like to turn over there and just hold that place for just a minute, I'd like to introduce us by first mentioning the fact that the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, Desert Storm, the current action that is going on in Afghanistan and Iraq are some of the conflicts that Americans down through the years have been involved in. War today just seems to be a reality. It's something that is on the news almost invariably every minute of the day. Even when there isn't war involving this nation, the United States of America, there is war going on somewhere else in the world, it seems like, every day that evolves and every day that we live, there's a conflict going on somewhere. And there are also the smaller wars. We could talk about gang wars, drug warfare, terrorism in this country, even worldwide. There is also violence that we can know about and read about even in our very homes that we possess and live in this day. It should come as no surprise that the Christian is also in a warfare. When we read God's word, it is explicit. It tells us plainly that this is the way it is. One thing that we should be mindful of as we start the process of going through this sermon outline that I have before us this morning is today we as children of God have peace with him. In your Bible, in Romans the fifth chapter and verse number one, if you'd like to read that while I proceed through this introduction. Also today, we need to remind ourselves that we have this peace of God as he commits or we can commit everything to the Lord in prayer, as we have done so far in our public worship this morning. Paul talked about that plainly over in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 6 and 7. We also learn in God's word in Romans 12, verse 17, that we should have peace among ourselves. And I think really and truly, basically, the congregation at this place has peace among itself, among its members. That's a great blessing. That's not the case in every congregation that we learn about. Strife and division abounds in some areas, and that's a sad thing, a sad, sad testimony. But listen, in a real way that we can talk about and be specific about, the Christian is to be at war with Satan and his forces of evil. Today, it is something that we need to be mindful of and to know that he can translate himself even unto the angel of light and make all things look like to us, what he wants us to do is good for us and cause us sometimes to stray off of the beaten path. 
We want to make sure that we are aware of the fact that we are involved in a real spiritual war. Don't forget that. And don't be caught up in the world and lose sight of the fact that this spiritual war is against the forces of evil. And the child of God, the great news is that you are guaranteed to win the war, but there's a condition. You know what it is? It's simply if you will do what you're told. Have you ever heard that on the job? Now, Daryl, come here just a minute. I sent you out on a job today, and I told you to do so-and-so and so-and-so, and, -so and why didn't you do that or try to at least accomplish that? You see, I fail sometimes in my everyday walk of life when I cease to do that which I've been told. And that's what gets the child of God in trouble so much of the time when we stray off the beaten path and we fail to listen to what we've been told to do. And therefore, we swoop off into a sidetrack and sin sometimes because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, some small circumstance gets us off of the way and we fall and are entrapped by this entity called Satan, the devil. Well, listen, we want to talk this morning about this. And I want you to remember the words that we're going to read now found in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Here we're going to be furnished and told and reminded of all the time that we read this, that there are tools that can sustain us from the wiles or the evils of this entity, the devil. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. God never intended for you and I, in obedience to the gospel and falling in a category of being his child, a Christian, if you please, to live a defeated Christian life. That's not God's purpose. Never has been. The God who saves you through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the God who expects you to be victorious when we will serve him and do as we're told. God never asks anyone to do anything that's impossible. But listen, God always asks us to do things that are impossible without his help. There are things that we cannot do for ourselves. And it is taught from time to time from this very pulpit. Now, imagine, if you will, that I, we have several little ones in the congregation here this morning. And this sort of just illustrates my point rather crudely, I might add. 
but nevertheless it gets the point across. Suppose I took one of these little ones and told them, reach up and touch the ceiling. Can't do that, that's impossible. But suppose on a drop ceiling situation that I took one of these little ones and put them on my shoulder and held them up, they could touch the ceiling. And you know, that's really the way it is with our God. I would never seriously ask anyone, and neither would God, to do something that's impossible. God would not be a just God, if that be the case. I would never, and God would never, ask us to do anything that we cannot do, especially without Him. And think on that for just a minute. One difficulty we have as Christians is that we don't realize, sometimes, most of us do, but just don't realize how much power is available to us for the express purpose of living a victorious Christian life. We get bogged down with everyday things in this life. There are circumstances, situations that come our way that beset us. In other words, deter us, if you please. But listen. We need to remember that there are tools at our disposal that God gives us that we can thwart the devil. In Ephesians, the first chapter, I want to notice with you very briefly verses 19 through 23. Verse number 19. This is part of a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for those individuals in the congregation there at Ephesus. He wanted them to grasp and certainly understand the great power that has already been expressed in their behalf and that it was available for them to take advantage of it. Verse 20 says, This great power was wrought in Christ by raising him through the power of God from the dead and then seating him, the Bible says, in heavenly places, at God's Father's, the Father's own right hand. That's rather spectacular when you study that in detail. Verses 21 through 23 gives us a description of how tremendous this accomplishment, this seating of Christ in heavenly places is. Now, I want to turn there and I'm going to just very hurriedly read these verses that I have mentioned very, very briefly. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, let me follow that up with a question. Who is the church? You are, and I am, and we are that make up the body of Christ. And talking about the power that can be meted out to us is rather spectacular, isn't it? We can avail ourselves of the power of God to defeat sin and Satan in his everyday activities. Listen, I want you to consider the victories that is promised to us 
over in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 13, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that we have a responsibility to know what these powers are. How do we avail ourselves and partake of these divinely given things that God will give us? Talks about that in 1 John, the fourth chapter, and verse 4. Also in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 4, and verse number 6. Now, there are some real problems that the child of God is going to face, and you and I need to be aware of it. The Bible is plain concerning this. We face the wiles. What does that mean? Well, the King James Version, in that word right there, it simply means schemes or methods of the devil. What kind of method is he going to use on you that he might not use on me? The history of Satan is well documented in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Genesis 3, that is just three places. And there are many, many others. The good news is that Satan is not all powerful like God. Remember that. If you get nothing else from the lesson today, remember that Satan is not all powerful like our God that we serve. The good news is that Satan is not all-knowing like our God. He's not. The good news is that Satan is not present everywhere like God. Now then, there's a downturn to this. There's a downside. The bad news is that Satan has a lot to, of help from fallen angels who followed him in his rebellion to the Creator. These demons have quite an influence, and it's shown there in verse 12. Satan and his forces are enticing you and I to break God's commands to do something we're not told or to be involved in something that God says, don't do this or don't do that. Exodus, the 20th chapter, are commands that the children of old were given specifically to obey, and they failed miserably, did they not? Today, under this new law, we can do the same thing and be involved in violating God's word. Listen, what if you don't even know it? What if you don't even understand and read this rule book that we have before us? How in the world can we obey something that we don't even know about? God will not, he will not allow you to get into heaven through the plea of ignorance. He won't do it. Proverbs, the sixth chapter in verse number uh, 16 through 19, talks about the things that God hates, and he describes them there very, very plainly. But you know, listen, there is real participation to be made upon our part. We can stand against the wiles of the devil. Another thing that is really interesting to me is the fact, and I'm reminded of this when I read and study God's word, is today we can be victorious over the vicious attacks that he makes to us. You ever read about, and of course you do, this is an idiom that I'm going to give out to you. You read about people that are attacked by wild animals and survive. That's rather remarkable, isn't it? Can you imagine what it's like for a child of God to be attacked and fall into sin because of an attack of the devil? The Bible says we're all sinners. That's going to happen to us. But you know, survival is possible. 
And it's only through the church and our Lord Jesus Christ that we can survive the attacks of this vicious animal, the devil. God has given us the Christian armor, which includes a helmet, a shield, a breastplate, a belt, and some shoes to wear. Their purpose is to protect us from the attacks of Satan. It is our responsibility, though, to make sure that we are fully clothed in his armor and to stand against these methods that he uses against us in our weakness. When we stand, we are holding firm. We are, as it were, holding the fort. You know, you remember a story in our history books about a, a war that was fought not too many years ago at the Alamo. You remember that? You remembered how it was that a few gallant, brave men fought off or tried to a tremendous army that was coming. They lost. They simply lost. Those valiant men were overwhelmed by the multitude, were they not? Listen, when the Lord God of heaven tells us, the Christian, to hold the fort against the wiles of the devil, we're not outnumbered. That's not the case in this Christian walk of life. He has provided all the strength, if we avail ourselves, that we need to overcome. He's provided us with his strength. Our Lord and our God never puts us in a battle that we will lose as long as we do what he says and obey his commands. Our Lord tells us to use the weapons, the armors he has provided in order to resist the devil. And we need to be mindful of that every day we live. We should make sure that we have made a once and for all decision that we are going to wear and use the armor which God has provided daily Daily, we have to put on this armor, do we not? The Bible says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. What does that mean? You know, we could use a great deal of uh, illustrations right here, probably from our own personal experiences. But let me just use the word hypocrisy right here for a minute. You know, we laugh about it when we see it in other people. Yeah, we do. We don't like it when we see it in one of our brethren or our sisters. But you know what? So much of the time we ignore it or tolerate it in ourselves. And that's the sad part, is it not? That probably is the only downside that I have in this little outline this morning is don't be a hypocrite. Try to look inside yourself in the mirror, as it were, and see, do I fit that category? Because we are sinners, folks, listen to me. Sometimes we tend to be hypocrites. We tend to or pretend to be what we are not. We pretend not to be what we are. The one who is influencing us influencing us towards hypocrisy is the devil. And that's where it comes from. In Ephesians 6, verse 11 through 12, as I've already mentioned, we are warned against the methods or the wiles of the devil and against the work of his demons, verse 12. We are encouraged in verse 10, 
verse 11 and verse 13, that we have spiritual armor that is provided, which God should put on. Listen, no matter how many times we talk about this, no matter how many times we read it, if we never apply it, it does us no good. And we're vulnerable. We open ourselves up to brain damage, heart and lung damage, our vital organs, spiritually speaking, are wide open for him to accommodate himself and put us down. In our stand against Satan, we are first told, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Paul is in prison when he wrote this, if you remember. He is being guarded there by a Roman soldier who probably had most or all of this armor on him or at least nearby. Paul begins by discussing the belt. You know, when a soldier got dressed, he put on his belt over his tunic. I'm just reading to you about things that I have learned in the study of what it looked like or, or the stuff that they wore to protect themselves as soldiers. The tunic was the primary piece of outer clothing that covered much of the soldier's body. I'm told that it was a simple square piece of material with holes in it that the soldier's head and his arms and his waist could fit into. Very loosely was it fit upon him. And as you can imagine, during battle, the tunic could very easily be a hindrance getting in the way. The tunic that they wore was tucked into a heavy leather belt drawn up tightly and secured with a buckle. The belt also helped to hold other pieces of armor in place. The belt was an essential piece of this particular equipment that the soldier wore, I'm told, according to historians. The thing that is so uh, wonderful about this is the fact that the individual that was off to war, before he ever stepped out of the place where they were housed, made sure that he had every piece on and in place, trying to protect himself. It would be insane for the soldier to run out there, and you remember how they used to line up in a line with their spears drawn and their and, uh, bayonets and so on and so forth, and march toward each other? Certain death, wasn't it? Especially if you had on no protection. Paul tells us to wear the belt of truth. Now right here, folks, is self-examination. I can't do it for you. I can't make you study and learn the word of God. But it is the truth that will help us keep all other pieces of armor and our lives in place and live like God wants us to. As the belt surrounds the person wearing it, the truth of God's learning his word can surround us and keep us safe. And I might add this thought, if we surround ourselves with truth and actually practice it, the Bible says it makes us truthful. Isn't that amazing? To truly surround ourselves with truth, we are also surrounding ourselves with truthfulness and the best antidote for hypocrisy in our lives is that we practice this truth that we learn from the will of God. We cease to be hypocrites and sinners, you see. So what is the truth? First of all, 
There is the truth of the gospel. A person must come to a point in his or her life trusting the one who died for our sins, was buried, and was risen again. A person must make a decision to believe on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life that the Bible talks about. John 14, verse 6. John, Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Second, there is the truth of God's word. Thirdly, there is the truth of practicing God's word. You know, we can learn it all we want to. We can hear it day after day, meeting after meeting. But if we do not practice what we hear, you see, the Bible says the condition of being a child of God and doing that which we're told walks out the door. Well, listen, for the rest of this little lesson this morning, I'd like to take you to a passage of scripture that is gonna help you, I hope, help you to show you how to put on the belt of truth so that our lives can be truthful, unhypocritical, and be a true child of God. In Joshua, the first chapter, in verse number eight, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. All right, what's my resource? The resource is found this book of the law. You know, Joshua had five books that he could reference. Today, you and I have Genesis to Revelation that we can reference and find out how it is that we are to live for our God. We have a great book written by God, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 1, Romans 15, and last but not least, Psalms 19 tells us all explicitly about the resources of this wonderful book. You know, have you ever thought about your ability to read? You know, I can remember, and I guess it's probably been 35, 40 years ago, taking a class in speed reading. Now, I've never been an animal that can read super fast. And one statistic that I understand is, is uh, really kind of glaring. You know what the average speed that a person reads at? It's how fast he talks. How fast he talks. And it's about 300 words, give or take, a minute. In this class, for about an hour, I learned how through just a few little suggestions that I could speed it up double. So when I left that class, I was reading at the rate of about 800 words a minute. That's pretty quick. But you know what? I went home. I never went back to the class. And I regressed. You know what that means? That means to fall back. I didn't practice what I learned in that couple hours. And pretty soon I'm reading again at about 350 words a minute. So it takes practice what we know and what we do, you see, in order to make it work for us. Now, retainment or retention of what we read, that's very vital. 
Not only did this class teach you how to enhance your reading skills per minute, but it also, uh, it was absolutely amazing to me how much your retention level went up. Normally we retain about 60% of what we read. Now, some of us retain more, some less, some for longer times than others. That's because of our ability to think on these things and practice these things and so on and so forth. But all of a sudden, in the ability to read faster, my retention rate went up about 30% to in the 90s. Now that was remarkable to me. How do, I, how do I illustrate this? You know, most of us, most of us are sports fans. I know for as long as, as I've been able to know that there are sports, uh, I was probably a Ram football fan, a Dodger baseball fan. And you know what's amazing is most of us can go over and tell you who's playing first, second base, third, shortstop, who they've traded for, who they signed as free agents, name them, tell how big they are, and so on and so forth. But you can't cite the books of the Bible. Something wrong with that equation, isn't there? There's something wrong when that's the case. And I'm as guilty as you are. I'm not talking down to you. I'm just stating facts. What we need to do is be involved in reading the book and the statistics in it more so than these fleshly things that we're involved in. And we can learn because we're smart people. We can know what God would have us do. Listen, there's a reflection that can be made in talking about this subject this morning. The Bible says, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That's a command. And you can dismiss it, and so can I, and get away from it and not do it, but that's a command. Meditate therein day and night, Psalms 1 verse 2. Jeremiah, the 15th chapter, Psalms 119. All these places and different areas tell us about that. It also reasons with us when we think about what God is trying to tell us as human beings. Listen, there's a reason there. Thou, thou sh mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That's the reason that it is given the way it is by God the Creator. You remember where it says, which is our reasonable service? It lays in the dew this idea of not reasoning about what God's Word says. There also, I might mention by way of passing, that this has a very profound result when it takes place and when we exercise it. The Bible says, For then thou shalt make thy ways prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Folks, listen. I believe that the prosperity mentioned here is primarily spiritual. Over in Psalms, the first chapter, verse 3, read that and study it sometimes, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. All right, in the last few minutes that I have designated for the lesson today, I want to show you how it is that we are, as children of God, protected by righteousness. Protection. Do you ever think about that? 
You know, in this little outline that I have, and it's a little story, I'll relate it to you right quick. It said that there was a guy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that when the law was first passed about guys using helmets when they rode a motorcycle, he was a, a, a host on a local radio station. Man, he hated that law. He talked it down. But a short year or so after this law went into effect, he was a motorcycle rider. He had an accident that almost took his life. And because of the law of having to wear a helmet, his life was spared. You know what happened? Next few days after he got out of the hospital, he was talking how important that law was. It was reversed in the way he thought, see. Protected by righteousness in the eyes of the child of God is important. Listen, don't ever get down on the God of heaven. You can succeed and so can I, and we can all go to heaven one day if we'll just do what we're told and understand what it is that God is trying to lay out for us. Now, some of us may not like some of the laws that require us to wear these armor products that God has given us. We may not want to do that. We may think that, oh, some of these things are just too cumbersome. I'm here to tell you this morning that it's required by law that we do his commands. And if we don't, we are jeopardizing our soul salvation. Protection, listen. Most parents do things to protect their children. That's right. We protect our children by where we allow them to go. We protect our children by what we allow them to do. We protect our children by teaching them proper behavior and procedures and the way we're supposed to live commonly among men. That's called morality. We protect our children by watching out for them, keeping them away from things as staircases, electric outlets, running out in the street. Listen. If the recent tragedy that has been involved in some of our schools, like the one in Colorado not too long ago, has taught us anything, it's taught us that our children need to be protected from wrong influence, the wrong type of influences. We protect our children. Why? Because we love them. That's why. God, our Heavenly Father, protects His children because He loves us. Don't ever forget that. You know, I don't know of one case in the Bible. Maybe you're smarter than I am. I don't know of one case in the Bible where God has left his people. The people always left God and violated his law. Listen, <clears throat> as Christians, our enemy is Satan. 1 Peter the 5th chapter, verse 8, Ephesians 6, verse 11 through 12. And because God wants to protect us, he has given us spiritual armor for us to wear, found there in that chapter. Roman soldiers would wear a breastplate that could cover the torso, protect the vital organs, and spiritually speaking, folks, you have that ability to wear those things today. To begin with, no human being is naturally righteous. Listen, and I'll wind this down in just a moment. Romans, the third chapter, 
If you've never studied that in detail, do so. It talks about man's sinful state and how he can come out of that state and be pleasing and righteous in the sight of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for us to become righteous. The word righteous just simply means right doing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 and Romans chapter 5. When a person trusts Christ as our Savior, he or she is justified. That simply means declared righteous or right doing by faith. Romans 5 verse 1. What did Christ do for you and for me? Folks, listen. He wiped out the debt that was caused by sin. That's right. God protects those of us who are saved from the judgment of hell by covering them up, if you please, with righteousness that he gives and provided for us in his word. Now then, after a person is standing in the righteousness of Christ for salvation, he is also to put on that breastplate of righteousness to protect him from the wiles of the devil. This righteousness is not the righteousness that saved him. That was once and for all righteousness done by Jesus Christ. This righteousness is a practical, daily righteousness that protects from the attacks of Satan in our spiritual hearts. Listen. It takes your thinking mechanism to be kicked in gear to do sin. And if you can have it groomed and educated where some circumstance comes your way, you're going to deviate from that. You're righteous. You see, and God has protected you by giving you how it is that you become righteous. You know, one of the passages that describes the practical righteousness is found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. What does that mean, basically? It's just simply that I put off the old man in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave me and gave himself for me. In that passage of scripture right there, in a very hurried sum summation, we are crucified with Christ because Christ died for me. And when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood there for my sins and for the world. He purchased, you see, he purchased. We are to be clothed with Christ this Holy Spirit that gave his word can direct us today just as it did when it was given. We are to be today as members of the church. And I don't mean to be arrogant. I don't mean for us to be haughty. God plainly condemns those two traits in a Christian. But listen, we are to be confident in Christ Jesus. And we can know that if we'll live and do that which we are to do the commands, if you please, we can be saved one day. I'm trusting Christ when I want to hold a grudge, but no longer hold it against a person. I'm trusting Christ when I want to lose my temper, but quietly discuss a matter instead. I'm trusting Christ when I want to do or say what is dishonest, but instead do and say what is truthful. 
I'm trusting Christ when I begin to fear or worry, but turn those fears over to him. I'm trusting Christ when I start to doubt, but instead have faith. My faith does not need to waver. I trust Christ. I will be clothed with Christ's righteousness and Christ will live his life through me by what I know about him and the God of heaven. Why should I want to live such a life? Why should I want to be righteous in the way I live? Paul tells us, doesn't he? Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. He gave us his all for me and for you. He gave his all for every one of us and we should trust him and live through the life that he has designated that we should be from his word. If we'll take ourselves and use these instruments that God has given us, Satan will flee. Thus it is written. That's what the, the Savior said on the day that he was taken up to the pinnacle of the temple and viewed that vast wilderness and told that he could have all those things, but the condition was that he serve Satan. Thus it is written, the Lord said several times there. And you and I as a child of God today can do that very same thing. Listen, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed to witness out in this old world and tell about what God and Christ has done for you. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.